Morning, everybody. Uh, kids from age three to third grade are dismissed to junior worship. Uh, and if you're new here, just follow the parents that are exiting out to the left here. Before we get started today, I just want to take a brief moment to uh, recognize and thank my wife uh, for the many of early mornings uh, typing up these lessons as I see them. They would not look anything close to this without her. Um, I don't want to say that this would be impossible without her, but it <laughs> certainly would have been a lot more difficult. So I ask if any of you have like any kind of thanks or anything to give me, I request that you maybe save some of that and give it to her today. So, so ditto on my end too. Anything you want to say to me, say it to Karen. I, I wouldn't be standing up if it weren't for my wife. Um, they're a tremendous blessing as we seek to serve God in ministry. Did you notice we didn't have a contribution? You're thinking, oh dear, we no, we didn't forget. So those of you that are servers, you're going, when's it going to be? When am I supposed to get up and go get the trays? I'm going to give you a cue. And when I say, okay, now is your time, and I'll make that clear, you do that. So um, I came in with my Sunday dress-up shirt. But then, I'm sorry, you guys got up here with this t-shirt, and I ran in my office because it was still there. Uh, KB and Melissa are wearing the same thing, and it says, love knows no borders, the adopting Lindsay's, and so we're with you guys on this beautiful journey. Indeed. So this is, you better not go, whew, this is our final lesson in our sixth lesson series here in the book of Leviticus. And it's one of the probably most neglected and most avoided books in the Bible. But I'm really hoping that through this series, you've discovered, wow, wow, that's really applicable. It's very relevant to, to, um, to our lives today. And I just thought, since today is the last lesson, I kind of want to do what Ryan did with Patty. I, I wanted to say to Ryan... Uh, thank you for his, um, his interest, his willingness, and I think most of all, just his courage to not just, it's, it's enough just to get up here and do this once, but to do it six times, and then Leviticus, one of the, one of the most complicated books. Ryan said to me a few times when we were preparing for this, and, and really it's been great getting with him, and every once in a while he'd go, he would just stop and he would say, I can't believe you're taking this risk and this chance with me, Eddie. And I said, well, yeah, it is a risk. Um, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, Ryan, the fact that you're saying that is what qualifies you to be doing this. And I said to him, this family is a very, a very gracious family. Um, and they take a risk with me every single Sunday. And so, Ryan, thank you. Amen. I wasn't wanting an amen there. Thank you. Uh, we love it, and it's been very enjoyable. So a few months ago, Eddie came up to me after church, and he says, Ryan, I've got a piece of paper in my office with your name on it. And it says, talk to Ryan about Leviticus. I'm just standing there thinking, oh, you actually took me serious. 
So, so we, be careful. If you find your name on a piece of paper in my office, run, right? Right. <laughs> so, so we ended up getting together and having breakfast and working out the rough outlines for the, the lessons that preceded this one. And while working on those, Eddie mentioned to me that he'd like for me to share just exactly why this book is so important to me. I guess he wanted me to share why I asked in the first place to do this. The short answer is, is that I have boneheaded ideas all of the time. Uh, Come on, you're supposed to amen, right, Patty? <laughs> yeah. The next best answer I can give, um, it goes back to my decision to be baptized. I don't want to understate the importance of the Gospels in that decision, uh, especially Matthew. Uh, but what really lit that fire for me was my Old Testament studies. And for whatever reason, I needed to know like why and how we got here. I needed to know the foundation before I could appreciate the framing, if that makes any sense. Now, I didn't spend a whole lot of time in church growing up, and I've only been seriously attending for maybe five to six years, so my sample size is a little bit small, but it seemed to me that there was a gap in our understanding of the Bible, and that gap, as we discussed in the last lesson, is right in the center of the Torah. So, as we, as we have already discussed, Leviticus is a book, and it has as its, as its major theme, let's put that slide up there, God making a way for unholy people to enter into his holy presence through making them, them holy. That's, that's Leviticus. And you, you just can't don't want to miss this incredible thought. God wants to be close to me and to you. And our story is we have just done everything to mess that up. We have gone out of our way to bust up and break God's closeness to us. And God has gone out of his way to make that possible. And that's what Leviticus is all about. Through all of these, through all of these rituals that we looked at, the sacrifices, the festivals, through the, the, the service of the priests in the tabernacle, we've looked at through the, the, um, the moral and the ritual purity we've looked at, and all culminating in the center of this book, the Day of Atonement, and all of that pointing towards and leading up to Jesus Christ is all fulfilled in him. Because of him, God has accomplished what he was trying to do through the book of Leviticus. So now Ryan is going to take us into this closing section here in chapters 26 and 27. And to us as the modern day readers, you'd look at that and you go, that's kind of a weird way to end a book. But if you were a, a, a person of this time and culture when it was written, you go, oh yeah, that's the way it should close. And so Ryan's job is to, to take us into the text now. And it's going to be the same thing we've been doing. He's going to answer two questions. What does this say? What does it mean? And then my job is going to say, well, what does it mean for us? And so if you would be so gracious as to take a risk and a chance with us just one more time, we're going to start now in Leviticus chapter 26. You shall not make for yourself idols, nor shall you set up for yourselves an image or a sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it. For I am the Lord your God, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season, so the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruits. 
Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering, and grape gathering will last until sowing time. You will thus eat your food to the fill and live securely in your land. And this sounds good so far, right? I am the Lord. Heed this clear call to obedience. Follow my commands and things will go well for you. In the season of rain, it will rain and your harvest will yield bountifully. God promises safety, security, and full bellies. He will also eliminate harmful beasts from their land. Do what I say and I will give you comfort and peace. No sword shall pass through your land. Your enemies, as a matter of fact, will fear you. 26, 8 through 13, five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase ten thousand, and your enemies will fall before, the, before you by the sword. So I will turn towards you and make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will confirm my covenant with you. You will eat the old supply and clear out the old because of the new. Moreover, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will also walk among you. And be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt so that you will not be their slaves. And I broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Again, this all sounds great. This covenant is going to be difficult. We've got a dizzying array of rules and instructions to follow. But this stuff sounds good. Fourteen verses of blessings we receive. But God isn't done there. We have 33 verses of curses. 14 through 17. But if you do not obey, obey me and do not carry out these commands, if instead you reject my statutes, and if your soul abhors my ordinances so as not to carry them out, so as not to carry out all my commandments, and so break my covenant, I in turn will do this to you. I will appoint over you a sudden terror. Consumption and fever will, wait, will waste away the eye and cause the soul to pine away. Also, you will sow your seed uselessly, for your enemies will eat it up. I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies, and those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee when no one is pursuing you. If my interpretation of these curses is correct, it's not like, all of them will come all at once. Like if you miss one sacrifice, all of Israel is just gone. That's not the case. There are steps. There's a progression to these curses. Verse 14, as I just read, if you do not obey me and carry out those commands, instead you reject my statutes, and so on. Verse 21, if then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, then I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. Verse 23, if by these things you are not turned to me, but act with hostility against me, I will act with hostility against you. Then in verse 27, yet if in spite of this you do not obey me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with wrathful hostility against you. God will bring war, pestilence, and famine. And as if we're reading the transcript of some sort of awful, curse-based infomercial, God says, but wait, there's more. Sin and disobey further, and you get 
cannibalism of your children in famine, destruction of your high places and incense altars, and your remains heaped on the remains of your idols. Act now, and I will destroy your cities and make your sanctuaries desolate and not smell your soothing aromas. And that's just up to verse 31. 32 through 33, I will make your land desolate so that your enemies will settle in it and will be appalled over it. You, however, I will scatter among the nations and I will draw out a sword after you. As your land becomes desolate, your cities become waste. We're not done yet. God says he'll take his proud people and break them down. They will flee from the sound of a blowing leaf, flee from the land that they have inherited, and they will have no strength to fight their enemies, and God will deliver his people into the hands of their enemies. Some of you may hear me read this or read this yourself and think, well, there's that wrathful God of the Hebrews for you, that angry, vengeful, Old Testament God. I much prefer my passive and gentle lamb. Well, to me, I say you're wrong. You're very wrong for many reasons. But mainly, the easiest and quickest way I can think to say it is, no one can say they didn't know any better. No one can say, oh, well, no one told me. He just left, left us this nice list of blessings, and, well, I thought, well, maybe I can do without that. And the kind of sad thing about this is, these curses are, in a way, a very shortened transcript of many things that actually happened in the Old Testament. God kept his word. But this chapter doesn't end here. It's not like, disobey, and I'll destroy you, and it's over between us. Thankfully, that's not the case. 26, 40 through 45, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their forefathers and their unfaithfulness, which they've committed against me, I also was acting in hostility. Oh, excuse me. If they do not confess their iniquities and the iniquities of their forefathers and their unfaithfulness, which they committed against me and also acting with hostility against me, I also was acting with hostility against them to bring them into the land of their enemies. Or if their uncircumcised hearts or if their uncircumcised hearts become humble so that they make amends for their iniquities, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham as well, and I will remember the land, for the land will become abandoned by them, and they will make for and they will make up for its Sabbath when it is made desolate without them. Then meanwhile will then, uh, then meanwhile, they will be making amends for their iniquities because they rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet, if in spite of this uh, in their land, their enemies will not reject, I will not reject them, nor will I abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God who brought them up from, but I will remember them for the covenant with their ancestors whom I brought out from the land of Egypt in the sight of all the nations, that I might be their God, I am the Lord. It's as if God is saying, Israel, when you come to a fork in the road, I want you to take a right turn. That road is smooth and easy. But if you take a left turn, well, that road is bumpy. And there's a right turn at the end of that road that you can take to get back on track. But if you keep going down that bumpy road, 
you'll be headed straight for a cliff. And at the bottom of that cliff, you can still take that right turn, but if you keep going, you're going to fall off a canyon into a raging river infested with piranhas. And that's going to take you to a waterfall with jagged, sharp rocks at the bottom. But then, even then, if you want to get back on track, bleeding and broken over jagged rocks and piranha-infested waters, I'll throw you a rope down. And I'll bring you back to safety. If you hear that, and don't see and feel the same love and compassion that we so easily see in Jesus, and I don't know what to tell you. God's people can be given so much and wholly turn their backs on him and reject their Lord after being squarely warned. And what does God say to that? Confess, repent, and come home back into my open arms. That's a message, isn't it? I'm sitting there going, why should I even say anything else? But let me try now to answer, what does this mean for us? And so it's, it's, um, it's really not difficult here in chapter 26. God's message here in chapter 26 is helping us know what it means for us is this. Look, you follow everything I've told you, these guidelines of holiness, and you'll be blessed. And if you don't, you'll face the consequences and, and be punished. We need to, but we don't have time to, to talk a lot about this idea of what we define as blessings and punishment aren't always necessary what God defines as blessings and punishments. There, there are things that I might say, oh, this is a punishment, and really it's God actually blessing me and, and vice versa. But there's a, there's a really powerful truth here that tells us that a lot of what, what happens in our lives whether they're good things or bad things, the blessings or the curses that it talks about here, may not always just be random stuff that's happening, but here we see this is God at work in our lives, blessing us, punishing us, all based upon how we're responding to his will in our lives. And, and some of the ways that this works, some of these blessings, they, they occur what you might call indirectly is just basically the natural consequences of what's going to happen. Like if you eat a bag of rocks, God doesn't have to punish you for that. You'll, you'll face the punishment through the natural consequences and you don't eat that bag and you'll be blessed. You'll have good health. You violate the, the laws of sexuality in the book of Leviticus. God may not have to punish you. You may just face the natural consequences, sadly, that come from that. But then there are times when, when God just steps in and he blesses or he steps in and he punishes. You know, we know in the New Testament, the Saul on the road to Damascus, it wasn't a random thing that he just went blind. God made that happen. He was trying to speak to him. And then it wasn't just random occurrence that his sight was restored through a blessing. God made that happen as well. It's God at work in our lives. And we're probably, as we read this chapter 26, we're probably really good with all of the blessings. And we don't struggle to understand that, whether however they come directly or indirectly, hey, we're good with that. The challenge that I think we face are these, these curses or the punishments that are here, and they're like there's three times more of that than there are the blessings here. And one of the challenges that comes with that is, is if you remember two weeks ago, we had a guest speaker last week, two weeks ago we, we talked about the Day of Atonement and how basically God is saying, here's my guidelines for holiness and you fall short of that, 
hey, I'll forgive you and give you this reset where you can start again. But now we come to chapter 26 and he goes, you fall short of my holiness, there's going to be consequences. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, didn't you just say you were going to forgive me? Why the consequences? While God has made us holy and while we are forgiven, that does not make void God's call upon our lives to live out his holiness, nor does it eliminate the consequences when we disobey his holiness. That's in the New Testament, too. It's not just like this is Old Testament stuff in Leviticus. Paul's really unpackaging that in, in the book of Romans. He's talking about Jesus and grace and forgiveness. And then he says, but wait a minute, you need to understand that God's grace and mercy and this reset that God gives us, it's not a license to sin. The truth is, if you do sin, there's consequences that follow with that as well. You see that same theme in the book of Ephesians. It's beautifully brought out. He starts out, you are holy ones. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. God, through Jesus Christ, has made you holy. But then he says, but chapters 4, 5, and 6, the second half, but there's a high calling. This is how to live that holiness out in every aspect of your lives. And then he goes on to say in chapter 5, and those who choose to disobey my holiness, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's consequences. And, and, and we hear that, and, and, and that sounds so um, harsh and unmerciful. But there's a picture of God in here in Leviticus we can't miss. He is holy. And his holiness can't say, ah, <laughs> can't. His holiness cannot tolerate or condone or overlook sinful unholy behavior in our lives. But what's beautifully brought out here in chapter 26 and as well in the New Testament, God is holy, yes, but God is also merciful. And though these curses and punishments we see in chapter 26 may sound so harsh and unmerciful, I would suggest to you that they are God's holy mercies extended to us. It's God's way of, of warning us in advance. Like Ryan was saying, I don't want you to go down that road. I don't want you to experience what's down that road. He's trying to stop us. Now it would be it would be unmerciful for God not to say that. But it would also be unholy for God to say, Oh, there's no consequences. It's holy mercies. You go, you see the same thing in, in, um, in the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 3. You read that. It's hard language about the consequences of those who choose to disobey the will of God and, and, and the consequences that follow as a result of that. But then the writer goes on to say, Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but that's not what God wants. You know this verse. Many of you do. God is not willing that any of us should perish. And then it goes on to say, but God is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's, that's Leviticus 26. It's not a hard God, gotcha. It's a God saying, look, don't go down that road. It's a, it's a God who's patiently, as Ryan was saying, again and again and again, working in our lives in hard ways. Yeah, sure. 
but because he loves us to awaken us and bring us to repentance. The book of Hebrews, this is all over Hebrews chapter 12, where he says this is in Leviticus 26, this is the discipline of a loving father to bring us back to him. To not warn us would be unloving and unmerciful and unholy. And so I don't know what's going on in your life or what's going to happen in your life, but it very well could be that the the painful circumstances you're going through aren't random coincidence. It could be God's holy mercies to awaken you. I love this song. You think a girl named Laura's story. She sang it on. She wrote it. She calls them these punishments. They're God's mercies in disguise. All for the purpose of God making a way for unholy people to enter into and to live in the holy presence of God. That church that's Leviticus so there we have it guys such an amazing conclusion to this fascinating book so wonderfully wrapped up just this perfect button right on the end of this book Matt uh, if you could go ahead and bring your praise team back on up here and we're going to enter into this time of prayer wait a minute y'all sit back down sorry I was afraid. I was afraid that's what happened. You take a chance. You take a chance. You know, there's chapter 27, Ryan. Yeah, but that that one's really. That's hard. not the way you preach. You don't just skip stuff, right? But that one's weird, man. That's coming from me. This one is difficult. We're gonna do it. We? What'd you say? We? We? <laughs> I thought he was like, we French. That means like, we, like me and you. (laughs) Look, son, why don't you just have a seat? Chapter 27. So so he's kind of right. Chapter 26 seems like perfect story's over. And you got chapter 27 and you're reading it going, like, this is how you end a book? And so, so there are a lot of writers and scholars that this is such a chapter 27, and we're not going to skip it. Chapter 27 is such an awkward ending that they've said, well, that really is not part of Leviticus, okay? It's like somehow later on after Leviticus was written, somebody goes, oh, whoops, we forgot this. Let's, uh, oh, let's just toss it in at the end. But, you know, there's another way of looking at it. It's like you got this really out of the ordinary ending, but then <laughs> this is Leviticus, it's one of the most out-of-the-ordinary books, so you don't expect, and they lived happily ever after. And so it's, it's, it really fits in the whole format of this book. It very well could be that the Holy Spirit placed this chapter here for a good reason. And the question is, why? So I want us to take a brief look, as we should, Ryan, <laughs> at chapter 27. That was actually staged. I'm really not that mean, okay? Um, And this is going to serve as thoughts to lead us into our, um, our time of contribution. So if you are a server, this is your cue to take your place. Just hope I don't go on too long while you're standing back there. 
read it on your own. I'm just going to, I'm going to summarize it, okay? Chapter 27, the whole chapter, its entirety is about money. It's about contributions, giving for the purpose of, of, of financing the tabernacle and, and the ministry of the priest who serve there. And you're going to see that this, this idea of money and donations is brought out in two ways. First of all, one that's quite familiar to us, it's about tithing. In chapter 27, verse 30 and on, he says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the tree. Listen to this. It belongs to the Lord. When you give your tithe, you're not giving something of yours. You're giving what belongs to the Lord. That's why Malachi says, if you're not, you're robbing God. It's holy. It's his given to the Lord. And so we're familiar with tithing. So I'm not going to talk a lot about that. Giving 10% of whatever it is you receive. Uh, and a lot of us follow those guidelines. But the, the section here in chapter 27 that's a little bit different, uh, quite a bit different than what we're used to, to which most of the time is devoted. It speaks here, and you'll notice, of you're devoting things to God. You could devote a person in verse 2. You could devote an animal in verse 9. If what he vowed is an animal that is acceptable as an offering to the Lord, such an animal given to the Lord becomes holy. Verse 14, you could devote a house. If a man de dedicates his house as something holy to the Lord. In verse 16, if a man dedicates to the Lord part of his family land, you could de de dedicate your family land. In verse 22, if a man dedicates to the Lord a field he has bought. And you, you read all of chapter 27. And this is all about... Taking something that is yours and dedicating it to the Lord. It's, and that basically means you're making it holy. You're saying, God, this is yours. I'm giving this to you for your kingdom purposes, for your holy purposes. And as you read chapter 27, attached with whatever it is you dedicated, there was a monetary offering that came with it. So you have that at play and you're going, well, what a weird way to end Leviticus. But actually not. It actually fits into Leviticus perfectly in, in, two different, in two different ways. First of all, throughout Leviticus, what have we been talking about? We've been talking about this place where God dwells, the tabernacle, and all the things that are in the tabernacle. And we've been talking about the work of the priests that are there. And so now it's kind of like the book comes to an end and God says, okay, now uh, it's been nice to talk about all this, but this has to be funded. All of, these, all of these things, this is not like the man and the quail falling out of heaven. The, you know those curtains we're talking about in the tabernacle? You know, the table, you know, the, uh, the altar and the showbread and all those things. Somebody has to pay for that. That stuff's not free. And so he, he, that's where he brings it to a close here. So we need to talk about this in a very practical sense. But there's another way where this just fits perfectly into the book of Leviticus. The theme in Leviticus is what? Have you figured that out? If somebody said, give me one word, this is your pop quiz. One word that represents Leviticus, it's what? Get it right or I'm going to be devastated. Somebody please say holy. That's it. It's about holiness. Well, chapter 27 is all about holiness. The same theme. It's not like chapter 27. Let's do something different. Same idea that the whole book has been talking about. He says, when you give a tithe, it's holy to the Lord. All of these things that you dedicate to the Lord, these things are holy to the Lord. And so just as Leviticus has been talking about every little piece of your life offered to God and dedicated to God with your time, your relationships, your everything. You remember we've talked about that. So also it includes what we do with our material and monetary possessions. When I say the word holy, what's the first picture that comes to your mind? That's, you know, go back. This 
previous picture, that's the picture that comes to my mind, right? It's the light coming through the clouds with the blue sky. That's what we think of as holy. You don't think of, and now the next slide, you don't think of a person or money or furniture or your dog or your animals or your house or your car or food. But God is saying here, oh, no, no, no. Those things also are devoted and holy to God as well. When we talk about holiness in Leviticus, and particularly here in chapter 27, God means it like in very real and practical ways. The call of holiness, it's a full, total, all-embracing call to strive to seek after God. So we can talk about devoting ourselves to God. We can talk about being holy and we can see ourselves floating around on clouds, but when the rubber meets the road, is what do we do with our monetary and our material possessions? There is an expression of holiness. A few weeks ago, Sean White stood up here and he gave a governance council um, report. And a lot of that was about our monetary donations. And a big reason for him to do that was we want to be transparent about the money that you give. We don't want you to go, well, I wonder what they're doing with all that that we give. And maybe as you were listening to Sean speak, you were going, that is so unholy. That is so, like, has no place in the worship service. He's talking about our sprinkler system. Okay, we're saving money with our sprinkler system. He's talking about our HVACs that we had to install or repair. He's talking about our mortgage or he's talking about um, our um, parking lot or our need to improve our sound system. And you're thinking, how unholy. To the contrary, this is very holy. In Leviticus, the, everything that was about the tabernacle, the curtains, the tables, the showbread, the furnishings, all of the work of the priests, these were things that were holy unto the Lord, and all that was given and dedicated for these things was considered holy unto God. Holy worship for God's people this time, it wasn't coming for what they could get, as it too often is now. It was coming for what they could offer as a holy offering to the Lord. And so your gifts, your donations to the work of this place, it's more than just the business of money. It's the giving of yourself. That's what it represents. It's a holy offering for the purpose of God making a way for unholy people to enter into his holy presence through making them holy. And so it just made sense to us if Leviticus ends that way, that's the way we want to end. We want to end with our offering of all things. And as, and as the plates are passed, we're going to, we're going to, to sing a song and, and some of us don't put money in the plates because we're doing it through um, PayPal with our, with our uh, phones. You can do that now, or maybe you've already got that set up regularly as a setting. Some of you do that through ACH. But I want everyone to participate. Let this be a time when you can quietly pray or you can join in this psalm in, in, offering, in praying to God regarding the offerings that you give, regarding the offering of your life. So let's worship God now in this way. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs 
every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.